This is a Chicago NO show. I'm Jim Dalkey. I'm Karius Houston. I'm Will Flanagan. And for the one-on-one this week, I spoke with John Rinaldi, a former Motorola executive who's now building Geobit, next-generation child tracking device that looks to give parents peace of mind in crowded public places. For the fun one, we'll talk about some of the more ridiculous devices and startups at the ongoing Consumer Electronics Show, like a connected toaster and a solar-powered sunshade that moves with the pattern of the sun. But we start today's show with the big one. And speaking of the Consumer Electronics Show, let's begin by talking about some of the more serious Chicago companies showcasing their stuff at the annual show. Uh, Cars, who do we need to know about who's from Chicago at CES? The Consumer Electronics Show is sort of like Uh, Tech Super Bowl. It's this annual conference where thousands of people, thousands of companies come together to both debut new products um, and forecast what the tech trends are going to be for the upcoming year. Um, So it's always a massive conference and a massive place for news coming out of the tech world. Um, A lot of really interesting hardware and a lot of really interesting tech gadgets. Um, Of course, Chicago companies are attending the Consumer Electronics Show this year, CES. What's sort of interesting, um, as we went through the list and we tried to find out who's going to be there, what kind of products they're going to be debuting. Um, we saw a few familiar n- names on the list. Um, so these are companies like uh, Beast Grip. Um, this is a startup that creates uh, accessories for taking photography and movies on your smartphone, uh, as well as the Moto Bag, which is the motorized piece of carry-on luggage that you can ride around the airport. Um, as so well- silly. <laughs> so silly. It is silly. We had it on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, Please go do yourself a favor and People go back. who say it's silly haven't ridden it. <laughs> yes, the you're moto a, bag you're is a devotee amazing. of the motobag. I do love it. Yeah. Yes, it's um, certainly something that fits in at CES, uh, given that is sort of a, it, it has a bit of a wacky edge in terms of what sort of tech products are there. Um, so it's, it's a lot of those, those sorts of startups, a lot of hardware, um, a lot of Kickstarter projects. Um, another one uh, is uh, Envy, which is the Chicago startup behind Profix, which is a smart toothbrush that lets you uh, watch live video inside your mouth while you're brushing your teeth. Oh, man, that's so gross, too. Like, ah, oh, <laughs> some of these products, like... Some things don't need to be smart. No, yeah, not everything needs to be uh, IoT connected, but smart not toothbrush. Not at CES, hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, well, that's the big thing at CES this year. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about Internet of Things for a while, um, and even when you look at the Chicago companies on here, um, which include, yeah, Profix, um, and Monument, which is a device that stores and organizes photos, we're just seeing things getting more and more connected. You know, if you can connect it, uh, it's probably going to be connected, and one of those products will be debuted at CES this year. Um, and so I think we're seeing that from a lot of the Chicago startups that are at CES this year as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's really interesting to kind of see how some of the larger tech companies in Chicago are kind of playing this too. Like, for example, Grubhub is working with Samsung on its uh, smart refrigerator. Smart refrigerators sound kind of silly, but they're, they're actually really cool. They have I've been having such a hard time with my refrigerator recently. <laughs> Thank so God yeah, this is coming. Ugh. So basically a smart refrigerator does a bunch of different things, but one of probably its neatest aspects is it has cameras on the inside so you can see what's going on inside your refrigerator. You can do this from your phone. So if you're at the store, you can check and see, hey, do I have milk in the, ref- in the refrigerator? Look at your phone and say, oh yeah, there's a full thing of milk in there. Um, the refrigerator that Samsung has also has this 21-inch LED touchscreen uh, that Grubhub, Chicago-based company, is intera- is incorporating with. So what you can do is order Grubhub from the touchscreen of your refrigerator. So think, look in my refrigerator, got nothing to eat, 
click the Grubhub app from my refrigerator and get meal delivered. So now Grubhub not only is on your phone on your tablet, it is on your refrigerator. Yeah, that's something that's amazing for Grubhub and amazing for the smart refrigerator. It makes perfect sense, uh, but it's absolutely terrible for me because <laughs> I often have an empty fridge um, or just not very good food because I got lazy and didn't go to the grocery store and I'm just eating cold spaghetti. Um, and I think that that feature potentially could bankrupt me. That could be, that could be <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. I don't need things to be easier that aren't necessarily good for me. Uh, the ability for me to quickly order something via my phone, like the fact that I can get a Starbucks super fast means I'm drinking more Starbucks, and I'm not sure I like that. Like I kind of like that things are hard. I wish I could program more barriers to help me save money. But Grubhub being at CES is is a trend. You see a lot of... Kind of, not to say Grubhub's not cool, but they're a food ordering service. They do a thing that you wouldn't really think is super tech forward. It's not motorized luggage. No, it's not (laughs) motorized luggage. But CES is something kind of like South by Southwest where like these big companies say, oh, I'm going to be there to be cool. And they find ways like this to work with. But a Chicago company I think is really great is they're there because they sound exactly like the type of company you would find at CES, which is Tanvis, which is a local startup that's working on uh, haptic technology for your phone and touchscreen. What that means is that if you're touching your touchscreen, you can feel it. Um, That kind of sounds like a fun party trick. Ooh, I can I can pet the skin of a picture of a giraffe and it feels rough like a giraffe. Isn't that neat? But it's also really cool for things like I'm shopping for curtains and rugs and if I'm gonna buy this online, all mobile all online e commerce is going mobile anyway. So the ability to feel that stuff on a touchscreen is amazing and something you would expect to see at CES if we all like close our eyes and, and just made up things that is going on in the back rooms of CES. Bringing feel to touchscreens is something maybe we'd say, and it's cool that a Chicago company is doing that. So I love that we have big Chicago companies there, but I also love that some of our local startups are, are doing that too. Mm-hmm. And I think a, th- a theme that you're seeing at CES right now is – uh, voice-enabled everything, sort of centered around uh, the Amazon Echo and the Google device and other uh, basically voice-enabled commerce, and which is going to be really interesting to see kind of how uh, we buy things with just by asking Alexa. Uh, we just saw this week, too, that um, Alexa now does food delivery in Chicago and a bunch of other cities, just basically asking Alexa, hey, can you order me some sushi? And that's all it takes for you to get food. So you're seeing a lot of these traditional industries incorporate with voice control, and now they are becoming tech companies in themselves. What's really interesting to know or good to know about the connected space and the Internet of Things in general is a lot of times you hear in tech as everyone is doing the same thing, like, oh, if everybody's a publisher, nobody's a publisher, or if everybody's fast, nobody's fast. But if everybody's connected, everybody's connected. That's the whole point with Internet of Things, is if you say, like, when is this really going to take off? It's when your toothbrush can talk to your toaster, can talk to your car, can talk to your wardrobe. It's really hard to have one connected device in your house. Having your Google Nest is cool, because, oh, it knows when I'm getting really hot and it can turn it down. But it's really cool when 
your nest is attached to your car so it knows you're five minutes away and it can turn on and your oven's attached to your nest so that your oven starts your dinner before you get in your house and you know everything else is talking to one another so that's where ces i think last year um the big story was ces becoming an automobile show there was so much in driverless cars and I think even though Internet of Things and connected stuff has been around for a while now, it, it's not new. The fact that everything's connected, and we're going to be talking more about this in the fun one, is to me, it's it's one of the first times I've started thinking, ooh, maybe I'll actually get a connected device. Right, how it actually works in your life. And I think that's key. Like, So CES is the consumer electronics show. So there's mm-hmm. like a ton of tech conferences that are more for the high-level stuff cloud computing, B2B, that kind of thing. But CES is sort of where they debut products that actually can be in the market. And as you mentioned, people start to see them in their lives. Um, Of course, you know, the kind of the danger of any consumer product or, you know, people who are trying to make their product ubiquitous in people's lives is that um, you focus more on like the flash rather than, uh, you know, the safety behind it. Uh, And of course, the big question with anything connected and with the Internet of Things is how secure um, any of these devices are and you know because if one person can get into your um, maybe every other device your car your oven your refrigerator is all you know top-notch security but if your toothbrush is you know that one company that did not you know do due diligence on their security somebody can get in there and shut everything down so I think that's the big concern um of course, that's kind of the question that usually comes after we, you know, get all the press releases and hear about all the interesting IoT things. But I think that's like the big question with uh, this connected feature as we're moving forward is that, um, you know, for consumers, we are putting this, you know, the safety of our homes um, yeah. and you know these very intimate uh, ex- these very intimate environments that we're in, in the hands of developers and engineers. And, you know, our hope is that, you know, they're thinking about these things, too. Um, and of course, if you also you think about how a company does well uh, financially and a huge scandal where uh, somebody's home is hacked is yep. uh, really bad for PR and also I imagine very bad for business so that's kind of you know hopefully the checks and balances that will uh, will uh, make the internet of things uh, something that actually works yeah and it's so easy to get really excited about the stuff that debuts at CES but Following CES annually is the best way to know how quickly technology changes. I was just looking at a headline from CES 2016 about 4G televisions are the big thing. And today there were headlines about goodbye 4G, hello, QLED, and the Ubex X1000. Like these are real things and they sound really awesome. But guess what? They're not going to sound awesome in 365 days and something else will sound cool that's technology, that's CES, and it's weird, and it will be even weirder next year. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing you can count on. Yeah. All right, now we are going to kick it to Jim's conversation with John Rinaldi, founder of Geobit. set up and you guys are building uh, wearable devices for children to help parents kind of track where they are. Yeah. I am uh, not a parent. I don't have any kids. So I don't 
know that feeling of panic of, oh my gosh, where is my child? Uh, tell me about that feeling. Is that feeling kind of what brought you to found this company? Yeah, and hopefully when you buy a Jubit, when you have kids, you'll never feel that <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly, yeah. So uh, about a year ago, I'm a Chicago native. Uh, my wife and I had not been to Maggie Daly Park downtown, right by Millennial, mm-hmm. uh, Millennial Park. And so we took our two kids down there over the summer uh, and uh, in fantastic space. I mean, just a kid's dream Mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately a parent's nightmare because on a crowded day um, it's it's very easily where you can see your child just kind of darting seeing something and bright shiny Mm -hmm. object bam they're gone right Um, and and my wife and I split up so I was just one there's two eyeballs Mm -hmm. on on my son and he was kind of holding my hand and within a couple seconds he kind of saw something and I thought I saw him I then quickly lost him and just a sea of people, mm-hmm. and uh, and thirty minutes went by, and we couldn't find him. I was trying to organizing groups of people, yelling for him, running around, um, and was just at my wit's end. It was just totally um, an unbelievable event in terms of just the fear that goes through things. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that eventually, after about thirty minutes, he found me. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of got I don't know how, but he saw me at the other side of the park. And uh, fortunately, it had a great ending in the fact that we found him, and, but it, it inspired me to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about GeoBit itself and the product. I mean, this isn't, you know, you are not just a parent with a back of the napkin idea. Your experience is from Motorola. You, formerly, you used to work in Motorola. You've recruited some Motorola vets to work on this product with you to kind of build this wearable device. Sort of explain a little bit about what it looks like and what it does. Yeah. Um, so... As a parent, I, if the first thing I did with this was, I mean, I was working, as you said, I was still working at Motorola and, and thinking through this, like, God, why isn't there anything out there that solves this? I went and bought every kind of product that was out there, just super disappointed mm-hmm. with everything that I, that I came across. And, and that's kind of when, when I thought to myself, hey, I actually have some unique skills on, on how to approach this. And so, um, so shortly after, we decided to do something about it. And um, it took a while to kind of think through what it was going to be. And what I, what I first did was I just used my, uh, you know, my sampling of my kids and mm-hmm. let them just kind of watch them with these current products that were out there. Um, and, and got some really interesting insights from that. Um, then I bought a bunch more and gave them to neighbors and let them use them of these current mm-hmm. kind of crappy products mm-hmm. that are out there. And, and quickly kind of saw where I, where I felt was the opportunity. Um, we, uh, we quickly found out that uh, all of these products that are in the market have just terrible battery life. Um, mm-hmm. and, in, and in this day and age, uh, being a parent, like you've got enough electronics around your house, tablets, phones, all this other stuff that you're charging. Like I have so many of those. I don't need to charge yet another thing mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And it became a real hassle as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing that came out was like battery life is just atrocious on these things. And it came to the point where like you didn't want to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we knew we had to solve that problem first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Second uh, was these products were all just massively big, bulky, and, and most all of them on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And you won't understand this yet because you're not a parent, but kids that are between the two age of two and eight typically don't wear watches. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an adult right. thing. It's a fashion piece, yeah. right? I mean, you, you can tell your time mm-hmm. on your phone. You wear typically a watch because it's probably more of a fashion piece. Um, and they got their hands in the dirt and they're playing on the playground and, and a watch maybe is totally. not the most practical device. And they have tiny little wrists. Right. So these things are like way bigger than Apple watches. Right. So it's, it's, it's absurd. Yeah. Um, and when we, even that being absurd, we did put them on wrists. 
And what we saw is there, there were abstraction in the classroom mm-hmm. and at the school. Uh, there were distraction to the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and some parents, although you, we don't like to necessarily think about it, because but they, they thought to themselves, hey, this is kind of calling out to people. My child is unsupervised. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a tracker on them. Like, if so, yeah, the boogie, like, we don't like to talk about that, but in their mind, they think about that, and it's an objection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to develop something that was super discreet, mm-hmm. didn't get in the way of their daily life, was super durable, small, lightweight, all of these things. So that was another big challenge for us as well. And so we developed something we call a smart tag. Um, and it's something that really clips onto any part of the apparel. The one thing that becomes clear with a parent is there is no consistency when it comes to your children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they have one day, they're okay with something on the rest. Right. And the next day, take it off me. Right. One day, you know, they have an opinion on what type of character they like. <laughs> it's constantly changing. So we needed a design that was flexible mm-hmm. enough to really attach to any part of clothing, any part of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it ne- we, we picked something that really attached to... Uh, their shoes or their pants or their shirt or kind of really any other apparel Mm -hmm. um, and and really can't get taken off either. Mm -hmm. So uh, the clip mechanism or the springs in this smart tag, it's very small, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's such that the hand strength of really between a two and maybe a Mm seven-year-old really can't take it off. It Mm -hmm. really requires the, the hand strength of an adult. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we have kind of designed in our building, um, and, and something that has amazing battery life, like mm-hmm. I said. So it's um, something that doesn't last at one or two days like the current products, but lasts upwards of a month. Mm-hmm. So walk through how a parent would use it in a given scenario. Yeah, so assuming they've they've attached it to, mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's say, a, a pocket mm-hmm. um, or a shoelace or something like that. Um, as soon as the child, let's say you're at a crowded place... Um, like Maggie Daly Park, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the child would start drifting away, uh, we will recognize contextually that the parent and the child are at a park mm-hmm. uh, and in a crowded place. And so we'll alert the parent and the child that they have kind of drifted. So you get an alert before you even walk. Right to your phone. Right to your phone. Mm-hmm. Great, great point. Yes, to your phone. Smartphone app, of course. Um, and so at that point in time, hopefully you've been buzzed, you alert, you're within you know yelling distance. Mm-hmm. They're probably just a few feet away from you, uh, 20 feet away. Um, but let's just say it's noisy, mm-hmm. your child doesn't hear you, whatever it is, there's a sea of people. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in time, uh, you can then get an alert of where they're actually at on a map, mm-hmm. uh, so you can see where they're at, uh, and also you'll be able to see distance and height. Mm-hmm. So let's say they're up on a slide, you'll know they're up on a slide, or maybe you're in a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple levels, if you're downtown Chicago, even worse, like in um, in like a 10-story shopping mall, but mm-hmm. let's say it's like a two or three-story shopping mall, Maybe you think they're in Macy's, but really they're on the second floor. And I think that's a key point, too, because you're not relying on GPS. It's not, it's not just coordinates on a map. I mean, this really goes you know, vertical or horizontal. And it's, What sort of technology are you guys using that takes it be a step beyond GPS? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's something we call progressive beaconing. It really leverages all sorts of radios. It does have GPS, so when you're outdoors mm-hmm. and you want to get a very high degree accuracy fix, mm-hmm. we can do that. Um, but there's lots of technologies you can use uh, that have coming on the market uh, as of late. Things you may have heard about, like Bluetooth beaconing, Wi-Fi beaconing. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ambient radio frequencies out there that we can pick up on and help to triangulate where the child is. Um, we can also detect pressure changes, so we know altitude changes within a structure. Mm-hmm. So we know, like you said, the child's in the second floor versus mm-hmm. the first floor. So this solution works outdoors or indoors, really wherever they are, and even internationally as well. So mm-hmm. if you're on a trip to Aruba or Mexico, no fear, our, our network will work there as well because it has a cellular backhaul uh, in addition. So if you're far away from the child, um, that, that'll allow you to, to tell you where they are. Um, how do you guys sort of anticipate the demand for this product? I, th- I think about, um, 
like security, like home security systems, like my parents' house uh, got broken into, yeah. but they didn't get the security system until after their house got broken into. So what do you do to parents to convince them, you know, before the scary incident happens that you need this prior to that? Right. Um, what's really interesting is we look at it as a couple of things. One thing is that we've seen through a lot of our uh, marketing tests is that there's, uh, there's a messaging uh, around the acquisition and there's a messaging around the conversion mm-hmm. uh, because it, this isn't just about going to a park mm-hmm. right because I do that maybe once a month or maybe once a couple times a month um, but we also want to give children um, really a little bit more freedom than they have too like I, I after this happened to me I was like apprehensive I didn't want to let my kid out of my sight right. and there are a lot of these parents that are like they're just fearful in general it's never happened to them mm-hmm. but the inherent innate fear is there mm-hmm. and so they're they're not letting their child really have some of these freedoms mm-hmm. that I think you and I maybe enjoyed a little bit more when we were kids mm-hmm. and so you have these helicoptering type parents mm-hmm. um, and and our goal is to let these parents have a little bit you know, a little bit more peace of mind and mm-hmm. let their kids have a little bit more fun let them maybe walk to school let them go out and play a little bit further let them go out and explore without having that worry mm-hmm. even if it hasn't happened yet um, so there's that more everyday use case or even take it, going to the bus, mm-hmm. um, just alleviating some of that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But we do realize that the acquisition of it many times is this like, hey, positioning these moments or these trigger moments where I'm on vacation or in an unfamiliar place, that's where mm-hmm. you tend to think about it. Mm-hmm. Even though in reality, what we see is people end up losing track of their children when it does happen, ends up happening more closer to home mm-hmm. than it is an unfamiliar location. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So our messaging has been very much um, a very positive tone. We mm-hmm. want to give parents peace of mind, but kids more freedom. This right. isn't like protecting you from the boogeyman. Right. This is like letting kids be kids and having you not stress about mm-hmm. it. Um, and so our acquisition is around places like parks, airports, things like that, where mm-hmm. you are in an unfamiliar place. And then the conversion of that is once you understand that it's, it's, it's beyond that. It's the mm-hmm. everyday use case that works as well uh, is where we've had success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if it hasn't happened, um, we do see that a majority of parents are thinking about it, even if it hasn't happened to them mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. And so the product is uh, not on the shelves yet. You guys are nearing pre-orders, correct? That's right. And the mm-hmm. spring will open up for pre-orders. Unfortunately, you have to have things like FCC certifications sure. and other, there's a ton of radios in this. And so uh, we want to make sure everything's super buttoned up before we open up for pre-sales. And now will the device be, uh, you know, you buy it once or and you're good to go or do you need to pay monthly for the tracking how does the the cost work yeah so uh, as i mentioned there is a network component to this mm-hmm. uh, there's a service that comes with this allows you to uh, use this with multiple people multiple what we call safe zones mm-hmm. or geofencing um, but also there is a data network component to this that allows you to work even away from the, the mm-hmm. parent um, and internationally as well so there is a monthly service uh, that comes with it uh, we price it less than Netflix mm-hmm. uh, so for less than Netflix you can have peace of mind um, and we are going to be offering discounts for like a year commitment so you can prepay a year for less than 100 bucks um, and, mm-hmm. and don't have to worry about it gotcha I think an interesting element too of the technology is sort of understanding the child's everyday pattern of where they go. You know, they go yeah. to school, they go to after school, they go to practice, they go to a friend's house. And t- correct me if I'm wrong, but the GeoBit sort of learns that behavior and then can un- can uh, notify a parent when they've sort of deviated from their regular path. That's right. We don't want to bombard people with constant messages of where mm-hmm. they're at. It's more like if things are off. Mm-hmm. You know. And so uh, we have an element of machine learning that looks at all the sensor data, all the location data, 
and then you don't we really don't want you to set it up we just mm -hmm. want you to, to use the product and it becomes smarter and learns itself over time and that's exactly what happens so as your child uses it we learn where they go to school we learn what home is we learn mm -hmm. the route they take there mm -hmm. um, and so at that point in time uh, allows you to message if they're not on mm -hmm. those paths or not in the place they should be um, and it also allows us to save additional power mm -hmm. I think the concern uh, that people just have about technology, especially location and tracking technology, is safety and hacking and yeah. people sort of getting into this data. How have you guys sort of addressed uh, the issue of privacy and safety and making sure that other people aren't hacking into the location of someone's child? It's a great question and something that parents, you're, you're thinking of that not even as a parent, yeah. uh, and most parents have the same thoughts. I mean, mm -hmm. you hear about it day in and day out, and generally speaking, um, the IoT industry has done a pretty bad job at security. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a little bit of a, we have to kind of go above and beyond even what would be really minimally required. Mm -hmm. And so we've really over-engineered our security solution, so much so that we've taken uh, what's called a secure element. That's an encrypted piece of hardware that's really hack-proof. It's the same type of technology that's in your iPhone or your Android phone that's, that's allowed for like Apple Pay mm -hmm. or Android Pay mm -hmm. as the credentials for like the, the payment systems. Mm -hmm. Um, this technology was really first used in consumer electronics, probably without people knowing it, for um, what's called digital rights management. So when you stream something from Netflix or HBO or things like mm -hmm. this, they've put some encryption in there so that you can't pirate that mm -hmm. stuff, right? That, that's mm -hmm. their, that's their, uh, their revenue stream. They want to protect that. Right? Right. So these secure elements that were added in consumer electronics were used to make sure this was like hack-proof Super, super secure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's now been used for payment systems. And really, to my knowledge, no wearable has ever used a secure element to encrypt data mm -hmm. and to allow for the communications to be encrypted in mm -hmm. a very, very, very secure way. Um, we've used that technology in this device, mm -hmm. which means that all the data is not only encrypted in transit, but it's also encrypted at that rest on the device. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've used then industry standard security protocols um, on the on the cloud side as well and partnered with Amazon, mm -hmm. um, who obviously right. has a ton of experience in the space uh, to secure all of our back end as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, really, like I said, going above and beyond even looking at like a hardware tampering. So we mm -hmm. can detect if someone's trying to like hack the hardware itself mm -hmm. and like tamper that. Mm -hmm. So when you sort of uh, hear from a parent who's concerned about that, what do you tell them? Do you tell them that it's hack proof, that it's 99.9% .9 hack proof? I mean, what kind of, how can you sort of ease yeah, those concerns? Yeah, so we've, we've really turned this from instead of a responsive to a proactive. So mm -hmm. we've really positioned this as a feature of the device. Yeah. Uh, and it just factually state what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we have their privacy in mind. We have, we know this is a concern. So we're going to just factually tell them the things that we do mm -hmm. and really give it the same level of security and trust that you get out of other types of devices you may have. Mm -hmm. um, and then explain very, very cleanly what, um, what we do with that data, which mm -hmm. is really we don't share with anybody. It's mm -hmm. uh, extremely private, secure, um, and uh, and we encrypt it and hold it very sensitive. Mm -hmm. So you guys uh, are here in 1871, uh, sort of the home of Chicago's uh, startups. We've got a lot of tech founders in here. Um, I hope you don't take offense to this, but you guys up the average age a little bit of the uh, typical founder that's here in 1871, but um, that's got to give a huge advantage to what you guys are building here because you guys are seasoned uh, technologists who've spent a lot of time in places like Motorola and other mm -hmm. tech uh, powerhouses. How does yep. having that sort of experience on this team sort of um, further aid what you guys are building? Yeah, so the average uh, average years of experience on a team is, is around 14 years mm -hmm. of experience. Uh, so you're right, the average age is a little <laughs> higher. Um, and, but that shouldn't uh, be any indication of our passion. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Uh, but you get an unbelievably seasoned engineering team from that. Um, and, uh, and what's interesting with when we started was um, we're part of, or we were just graduated from a program called Techstars, mm-hmm. uh, which is inside of 1871. And when my founder and I, my co-founder, started the business, uh, we thought about bringing in a third co-founder mm-hmm. that had previous experience in startups, which we had not. Um, and at that point in time, Techstars approached us and said, hey, why don't you view us as really your, your third co-founder? Um, Troy Hanikoff, mm-hmm. who's a partner at uh, Math Venture Partners, also is the managing director of Techstars, um, really positioned it that way, and and said, hey, we're really looking at this as a long-term investment in this. Kind of, we're, we don't just go through the program, we're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we stay with you. Um, and so we said, oh, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Um, and, and so we, we, we approached it and said, hey, let's, let's, let's look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Troy is actually on our, our board of directors. So mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's very true about that statement, being a great partner. Um, and we really look at the Techstars community as a whole as really across thousands of people kind of satisfying that, that third co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives us that, that insight um, mm-hmm. that we probably didn't have before. Uh, but the other interesting thing is you have a ton of folks from larger companies in Chicago um, where, let's just say, startups aren't mm-hmm. just, you don't know about startups through osmosis like you do when you're out west. Right. Even if you work for a bigger company, you kind of get it, you've been involved in the scene some way. In Chicago, that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so there is still this element of like sexiness to joining a small company, a mm-hmm. startup. Starting something new. Starting something new, and where you've got your hands in everything, mm-hmm. you're, you're defining it. Um, and so it, I don't want to say it's an easy sell, mm-hmm. but it's there's less competition to sell that message to someone that spent 15 years at a bigger company. Right, and particularly at hardware. I mean, there just aren't that many hardware startups in Chicago comparatively to the West Coast. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. So you're, you're unique in that regard mm-hmm. that uh, you're different from there's not a lot of consumer hardware or even enterprise hardware, but consumer right. hardware specifically. Um, so if they're going to leave a place like Motorola, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are places, lots of places that these are unbelievable engineers, but there's not a lot of small company startups. Mm-hmm. And so we are unique in that position. Mm-hmm. And you guys have talked about your, you know, sort of long-term roadmap, really bringing down the form factor of the device itself, getting it, you know, almost quote unquote invisible. I mean, how do you sort of get to that point to where uh, a tracking device is so small it can really be within the, you know, the fabric of clothes, for example? Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of great progress happening in the industry at large around connected uh, threads mm-hmm. uh, that allow us to have a um, kind of a distributed, let's think of your clothing as an architecture mm-hmm. of electronics. It allows us to have that being very distributed. So instead of having the product, let's say, all woven in into one area of a shirt, let's mm-hmm. say. So some of the smart clothing that we see today in like fitness and apparel, you'll see like this big bulge in like, mm-hmm. the back of the neck, right? Because the whole product really is just being... Right. sewn right into the fabric and that's right. it um, but with connected threads you can have a distributed architecture which means some sensors can go in the sleeve the battery can go over here and you can just start saying that across the entire uh, apparel item mm-hmm. uh, which makes it much more discreet mm-hmm. um, and all of our technology already is getting smaller 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 and lower and lower power mm-hmm. to the point where we think that our battery cell while it's also already one of the industry's smallest we can get even smaller mm-hmm. um, as not only look at new chemistries for battery technology but different things like wireless charging where you can charge something over let's say 10 20 feet mm-hmm. uh, where if the item just goes in every day into a drawer or into a closet 
you don't really need to worry about having battery life that lasts a month because it's kind of getting recharged mm-hmm. every time you put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some interesting things that we are exploring. Um, and then we're also looking at all sorts of different markets that can use the software. So all of our intellectual property really is around software. Mm-hmm. We had to invent new hardware to take advantage of that, but our intellectual property really is around our software algorithms. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at a variety of other industries that can leverage similar types of technology, not just children, mm-hmm. but there's lots of other needs for this in other industries as well. Interesting. Awesome. Well, John, thanks so much. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jim. This is Will, and I'm here with Karis, and uh, because of all of the CES talk we had in the big one, we wanted to really dive in more into the the weird and the wonderful and the wacky gadgets, uh, some of the most bizarre stuff that's debuting at CES, and in full disclosure, I thought this was going to take me a really long time. Uh, in fact, I, I wanted to play a real or fake, where I gave you a couple real gadgets and I made up a couple fake gadgets. But it was so easy to find crazy stuff that it would have done you, the listener, an injustice to make up anything. Because everything that uh, we found that was weird and wacky at CES, it, you, you're like, it, is this actually real? And then this all started because every year during the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, we get flooded, our inbox yes. is flooded with pitches with every type of hardware that's coming out, whether it's related to Chicago or not. People, this is like a huge time for the tech PR to get their products in front of journalists' eyes. And so that's usually when we see this influx of like super weird things. You know, I remember earlier this week, I've gotten pitches for a smart oven knob, uh, which basically will tell you if uh, your you've, your oven is has been turned off, um, or you know if data analytics regarding uh, your oven usage, as well as a smart curtain, yep. um, which is actually I th- I thought it would have been more about like a heating thing, but it's actually for uh, privacy and security reasons. So you know making sure that you've got kind of that guard up there. So uh, we were like, how weird is and this going to get? They're all real. That's the thing that blows my mind. Is again like even. Even if I tried to come up with the silliest things that quote unquote may be at CES, they wouldn't be nearly as funny or interesting or nuts as the actual stuff that's there. For example, and we're going to go through some of our favorites, uh, if you are driving, pull over because these are ridiculous. Uh, I had to kind of walk around my computer for a bit. The first one is the Kerastasi Hair Coach, which is a smart hairbrush because just brushing your hair is so hard. So here is the description of the smart hairbrush. Uh, The app-connected brush is equipped with multiple sensors that provide information on the quality of hair and brushing patterns. It features a microphone that listens to the sound of hair brushing in order to identify patterns that can give insights into manageability, frizziness, dryness, split ends, and breakage. 
That is the Kerastasi hair coach with a microphone to listen to your head brush. Yeah, so basically all of those uh, shampoo brands that yep. just tell you about how terrible your hair is, now you have a smart brush that will also tell you how terrible your hair is uh, with data analytics. And what's funny is that one's gotten a ton of press of, of a lot of these kind of weird and wacky ones. It was the smart brush that even for like the gadget bloggers at CES seemed like a bridge too far for them. <laughs> that was the one that were like, all right, come on, we might be getting a little insane. Um, but it, it gets a little more ridiculous. The other, uh, the smart scarf sounds silly, but actually kind of cool. Uh, I heard smart scarf and I just kind of tossed my hands up, but it's aimed at cyclists in the wear anti-pollution scarf with a built-in filtration mask. And it claims to protect the wearer from the main toxic components of air pollution in the city. So the scarf continuously measures the quality of ambient air and sends a notification to the wearer's smartphone when they enter a polluted area, prompting them to use the scarf to cover their nose and mouth. Now, I would suggest if you're dry, if you're biking around with a scarf, you're going to know if it's polluted or not, but that's probably not the case. Uh, you, you know, it's not like smog smells right away. If you're driving through an area and it's clear you're in pollution, then you probably shouldn't be biking there. Most pollution is undetectable. That's the point. So this is kind of an interesting way to say, hey, put the scarf over your face. This is more so for developing countries than the United States I was reading, but I, I, I kind of bought into it beyond the surface level smart scarf. Yeah, um, I think if you're living in a city, <laughs> the air is polluted, you know, it's yeah. like, that's just what you kind of got to deal with. In terms of like certain areas, you know, being more polluted than others, you know, I've lived in India, like talk about like, and literally I'd walk past burning trash every day. Probably didn't it need a would scarf. Not, yeah, I, did, I really didn't need a scarf to tell me this. And then also, if, yeah, if air pollution is bad, it's going to be bad throughout the entire city. If you're biking, that means you're doing something to work against the yeah. terrible impacts of uh, pollution, I would recommend just moving to the countryside if you'd like to avoid air pollution um, instead of, you know, maybe paying out this. I would also say this is a surgical mask. The, the, just, it's a surgical, a surgical mask. mask. The one, like, data element to it that, that might be interesting is the fact that it can uh, it, it will be able to show you the, the, the cleaner paths to take. So... One, that's something that should be just crowdsourced and available anyways. You yes. shouldn't have to buy a smart scarf to access that. But if it tracks and you says, oh, this path, then the others takes you through less. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into it, but even saying it out loud, which gets me into um, an even better one. This this is the Spinali, the, the Spinali shorts. So the Spinali shorts are uh, smart shorts, believe it or not. Uh, they contain... <laughs> I can't even get through this one. It contains two vibrating sensors on the belt, which connect to the wearer's smartphone via Bluetooth, and it helps them navigate through urban environments by buzzing when they need to turn left or right. So you got your smart shorts. You don't have to take out your phone, look at the map. It just buzzes when you turn left, buzzes when you turn right. Those are the Spinali shorts, smart shorts. Yeah, I mean... I could see it working. Uh, yeah, don't know where I'm going. You know, I want a little air of mystery to my day. I don't know. I get to an intersection. Will I be turning right or left? Who knows? My shorts do. I thank you, Spinelli. Thanks, Smart Shorts. These are, we'll get through some of these other ones quicker, but this kind of goes to a bigger trend we were talking about earlier in that it's not like we are creating 
smartness. This is like this the level of smarts that the scarf, the hairbrush, the shorts are providing is already within us. It's just allowing us to not be smart about it. Right. So basically, we can know where we're going. Yes. That's a thing that we can look at a map, we can figure it out. I could I can generally feel my hair and say, wow, this isn't healthy. I need to do something to figure it out. So what the connected devices do is basically they remind us kind of how dumb we are and how not willing we are to just learn something. To me, a truly smart device is something that adds insight beyond what you could provide. Uh, The Google Nest device that tells you uh, it senses the heat and it can adjust it based on the sun Yes, you could feel the room getting hotter, but it does that automatically. Things that, you know, make you shut your brain off because, ooh, I got a gadget to do it for me. I don't, like, I hate calling those smart. I almost just want to call them, like, lazy toasters or lazy ovens or lazy curtains. Like, these aren't smart. They're just forcing you to not be smart. Um, Which brings me to one I actually think is a good smart blank, is the Smart Cane. Uh, This is created by the French company Dring, so it's the Dring Smart Cane. Uh, It's a cane for the elderly elderly that's designed to learn the user's habits and detect any unusual activity, such as falling over. It can then automatically alert uh, carers and family without any action from the user, and it can share their location over text or email. That is a smart device. Makes sense. That is... That is gadgets adding value and insight beyond something you could already do. So the Drink Smart Cane, cool product. Uh, on the other side of the coin, though, we have the 42T Smart Cube. Tea aficionados would be able to tell you that black tea requires hotter water than green or white ones. This cube from 42T, which looks like a digital tea mag, can tell you that too. Select your tea on the 42T app. Place the cube in hot water. The app will alert you when it's the right temperature to brew the selected tea. So this is an example of something where if you like drinking tea, take the time to read a book or go online and learn this yourself. Don't buy stuff to, that makes it easy for you not to learn. If you want to drink tea and drink the best cup of tea, read a book, go online, learn about this. Don't buy a gadget that forces you not to learn yeah there are uh, a lot of tea related gadgets out there as so well many. and i use them i use a, a hot shot which is it, it heats your tea um your water up in 60 seconds and it's great i could have just done that on the stove uh with a pot and a yeah. pan but no i wanted the one cup hot shot um and so i've already kind of started to go down this route a little bit um but no i would absolutely draw the line at a cube it tells me if my tea is hot enough and probably like it's gonna be fine you know I mean it's, it's like of course there are nuances with tea and coffee I understand that if you're a true user this might be for you but uh chances are a cup of tea is a cup of tea and if you really like a pure cup of tea guess what don't put a digital bluetooth device in your hot water yeah I'm not sure how wi-fi impacts uh the steeping time of tea but I'm guessing it probably does um pretty much anything you put in something that's heating up is going to impact it so make sure you keep that in mind as well yeah one more smart device the hydro first shower head it's a smart shower head it tells you if you're using too much water 
that's it, it that's the idea it goes uh, it has an led uh led lights that change color from green to blue to purple to red depending on how much water you've used so if you want to shut your brain off in the shower and not realize how long you're going there you can buy a smart shower head yeah we'll save you some money you're showering too long everybody showers too long we all know we do it but sometimes it's really cold outside you just want a hot shower yeah. we understand but like you know just keep that in mind yeah, and you don't need a flashing light. Uh, but that could be kind of a fun, like, shower I have a feeling that keeps you know? me in the shower longer yeah, if like there's really cool get, flashing lights. Like I don't get out until green purple shower. comes on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, purple is like, all right, well, I, Time I to gotta go. get out. <laughs> uh, other stuff you always see at CES, virtual reality. And there's some wacky VR devices. One of them I saw, and I had to read more about it, virtual reality shoes. Uh, sounds like why will my feet need VR? But what virtual reality shoes do is it allows your feet to interact with what you see in virtual reality. So if you have your your VR headset on, the shoes kind of connect to the headset so that if you're walking through this environment um, and you need to kick a bad guy or maybe you're playing virtual reality soccer it allows you to interact with those device with those items in the world right makes sense but uh we kind of have to have that virtual reality world first yeah before the virtual shoes come into play so you know keep your eye on that one but uh yeah we definitely have to do a little more infrastructure i think on the, the vr side before that becomes something you absolutely need and speaking of vr infrastructure that requires items uh something that a lot of people were excited about was the hollow cube which is a block of foam. Um, that is such a delightful CES thing. Only at CES can you get excited about a block of foam. But what this block of foam does is that uh, when you put on a VR headset, the, this block of foam is designed in a way that it takes on the form of things inside the virtual reality environment. So imagine if you're uh, Mario and you're working through this virtual reality, this block of foam all of a sudden turns into a coin, and you can grab the coin and run with it. Uh, <laughs> Which led to, apparently, I'm sure, some very interesting scenes at CES. Exactly. <laughs> People just running around with this cone. But <laughs> with virtual reality glasses and a giant and foam And a giant ball. foam ball. But it takes on the form of things inside the VR mm, environment. Excellent. If VR wasn't enough for you, and you actually needed to feel the stuff in your virtual re reality environment, there's a foam cube for that. <laughs> uh, and that's, that is, the, to me, some of the, the wackiest stuff. Of course, there's weird pet things. Um, we had the Cats Pad, a smart pet assistant. That's an automated bowl that distributes filtered water and food. Uh, there was a smart dog collar that tells you your dog's moods. Um, here's the thing. Like, I don't want to sound like a, like a parent, but owning a pet is responsibility Make sure your dog's bowl has water in it. Make sure your cat is happy. You don't need technology to tell you some of this. And that is, it just worries me that we're de de developing stuff that takes responsibility away from us. Right. So, with all of this in mind, today we're announcing that the Chicago Air team is launching its own Internet of Things, its own connected product. If you are tempted to buy, a connected smart collar. If you are a t if you are tempted to buy smart shorts, send us an email yeah. and say, "I don't know where I'm going. I will Google those directions for you, and I will send them your way. I will I will make sure your dog gets walked. We will connect you to the answer." In, an in another service is if you are 
if you have a phone on you and you're alone, but you want someone to tell you or you don't know if your oven is on or off, email me, I'll come over, I'll shake you a little bit and say, hey, figure it out yourself. And I'll, I'll do that free of charge. That's, uh, that's the smart will is I'll come to where you are and just say, come on, man, figure this out. That's it for the Chicago Inno Show. Our show is produced by the Chicago Inno team. That's myself, Karis Husted, as well as Jim Dulkey and Will Flanagan. Music is provided by Christian Husted. We're also online at chicagoinno.com, and you can hear us every week on Lumpen Radio, Sundays at 7 p.m. <laughs>